Hello and welcome to the latest Moneymakers podcast with me, Jonathan Davis. Well, I'm delighted to be joined again by Charlie Morris, the CIO, uh, Chief Investment Officer at Newscape Capital. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, a number of things, what's happening in the markets. But I think we have to start with the phenomenon of the of the month or the day or the week or whatever you like to describe it, which is Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies in which you've been writing about for a number of years now, Charlie. Uh, in fact, I read you as one of the the most lucid and uh, sensible uh, analysts of Bitcoin. Give us your impression of what's actually been happening. Why is the price going up the way it has been going up? Is it a massive bubble? Is it a Ponzi scheme? Where are we on that? Well, that's, a, that's a big question. There's a lot of questions you ask there. But I think the world's woken up and, you know, people like me have been screaming for, for some years that this is really interesting. And, 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 and sometime in, at some point in 2017, people got it. They got the message that it is really interesting. And it was never going to be my generation. I'm 47, by the way. Uh, but it was going to be the youngsters that, that, um, that had an appreciation of computing and they had a, um, some sort of curiosity about finance and they were starting to ask questions about money and what it means. And the internet had figured out a way to exchange value, which it had never done, done before without the, the, the middleman that is a bank um, in the past. And so you capture the imagination and off it goes. And um, you know, what you've got here is, a, is an asset that the number of people that use the asset um, impacts its price. So if everyone loves Bitcoin and uses Bitcoin, the, the price goes up. But so in that sense, it's not money, it's an asset. And uh, so more people getting interested, um, the price goes through the roof, which in turn brings in more people and so on. Um, you've got something that's got out of control. It's, it's, it's a crazy year for Bitcoin, but it was long overdue. It was going to happen at some point. And um, it just happened to be 2017. When you say it was going to happen, what was going to happen? The interest in Bitcoin or the price going through the roof? Uh, both, they're the same. Right. Because I suppose the question is, you know, does it is an asset, but does Bitcoin actually have a value uh, beyond what people will pay you for it? In other words, I mean, most assets uh, fall into that category, but is there any kind of fundamental uh, value behind Bitcoin? Well, you've, that, that, you've asked a really important question there because people assume, you know, when, when I, I, I've said many a time that the value, the price of Bitcoin is directly proportional to the size of the network. And, and that's true for any cryptocurrency. And by the way, I hate the phrase cryptocurrency, I prefer digital asset. This is, is an attempt to exchange value over the internet. And if you think of the importance of that, then, then you know, it, it, it's highly significant. But what we've got here is, is a situation where the more people that get interested, the more value that thing is worth. And that's different from saying that people bought it and pushed the price up. So this is not a tulip in the sense that, you know, one guy bid more than the other guy and therefore the price went up. It's not some auction system where, you know, there aren't enough of them. We all, you know, the more we put our hands up, the more the price goes up. That's not what's happening here. We've got a, we've got a developing a network. It's more like um, a social media stock. It's more like the idea of Facebook, um, where the more people that want to join Facebook and share their uh, life experiences and their photographs of their birthday and so on, that's where the value is created. So the fact that a billion plus people um, use Facebook on a regular basis is why it's valuable. It's you know Facebook is nothing; it's just data, um, but but it but it has a stock market value of hundreds of billions of dollars because lots and lots of people interact with it. So you've got a network here. And net, Facebook is a network. Bitcoin is a network. All of these things are networks, and that's hugely valuable if you can create a network. And the and the bigger the network, uh, as you say, which is crucial for Bitcoin. Um, the more secure it becomes, as well as the more valuable it becomes. Is that right? Because it does depend on this, this the network being uh, distributed. 
Yes, and and no one's quite sure about the cause and effect here because to mine Bitcoin, um, you need to do some serious number crunching, and it's a competitive exercise. Um, if many many people, um, you know, the more people want to want to do this, the more computing power you need, and the more computing power that's required, the more secure the network becomes. And so it's a sort of ironic situation where uh, we're using more electricity than, um, than, than, than well, certainly the, the, the paper was written a, a year ago, than half of Ireland. Um, so it's probably the whole of Ireland by now, um, which, is, which is absurd. But to keep the Bitcoin network alive, um, it, it's, it's the same electricity, electricity consumption of a small country, um, which makes, makes no sense to some people. But to other people, they say, ah. Well, that's the inherent value in a Bitcoin. The fact that you needed 20 plus, hours, 20 plus barrels of oil to create a Bitcoin, that's the intrinsic value that sits inside. Now, I'd agree with that if you could turn that Bitcoin back into 20 barrels of oil, but you can't necessarily do that. <laughs> so what about the fact, though, that people don't... Um, a lot of people, I think, who have got interested in, in Bitcoin um, don't perhaps... Um, uh, understand that they might get ripped off along the way. How can they avoid getting ripped off along the way? I mean, I've heard stories of people who've, who've you know, they've dealt with some dodgy fellow who turns out to be uh, uh, an off-the-shelf company that disappears in, 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 a, in a matter of minutes when they try to get there or try to sell their Bitcoin. So how do you actually avoid that kind of outcome? Well, I mean, it, it's one of those situations where anything new and fancy and where people are sort of, Bit, bit, bit naive to what's going on. There's always going to be um, a lot of rip off, and of course, the mainstream is isn't really being supportive. So, the the, the digital asset space has created half a trillion dollars of value um, over the last few years, um, with the banking system essentially been against. So, governments and banks have essentially been against. Yet, half a trillion dollars have been created. So you, could, you say, on the one hand, you've got to imagine where we'd be had they been onside. And on the other hand, you've got, you've got to, to, to recognise that because they've been offside, there's been lots of bad behaviour um, within the space. And for example, there's no proper exchange in the United Kingdom. And there should be, because we're a proper country and we're you know, all up for, for financial technology, supposedly, until we don't like it. It's a bit like, you know, we love biotechnology, but, but, but not, not when it challenges stem cells and some sort of ethical things. And so, you know, many of these things which are at the cutting edge of, of technology upset someone or other, whether it's data infringement or whether it's, um, you know, something to do with biology or something to do with um, upsetting the banks. All sorts of these things um, challenge someone. And so, therefore, you leave it to, to, to the, the dark corners of the world to support it, rather if the mainstream turns away. That's exactly what's happened in Bitcoin. Um, and so, if you want to buy Bitcoin, you have to go to a, a dodgy exchange that's unregulated, that lives in Eastern Europe, possibly, or you don't know its address, or maybe it lives in Hong Kong or somewhere. Or you have local Bitcoins, and you hand over cash in, a, in the pub, and you, know, you might get hit over the head by a baseball pad in the process. And, and this is what happens. And so, you know, even people like me who have been close to the market for nearly five years, um, you know, I, 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 have, I, I don't have much speculation on this at all these days. Um, but I have bought some through, uh, for my fund, through a product in Sweden. So that's a you know, listed um, exchange traded product. And the reason I've done that is because it solves all the problems you've just mentioned. You know, it is regulated in some way and it's a, it's a note and there are various people accountable and responsible. So that's how I put my funds money into it. And, and by the way, it's only a very small exposure. Um, and, and personally, um, when I did trade Bitcoins, which I, I, I don't at the moment, 
because it's a little bit crazy for me, um, was via a spread bet. Because again, it was it was um, arm's length from the harsh reality of dealing with a thing which the banking system didn't like. You know, the idea of me opening an account with an exchange and then uh, having my bank account shut down was too much to bear. And so it was easier for someone like me to um, um, to have a to have a modest spread bet, which which I which I once had and I don't anymore. So yeah, th- th- this this is a a. Um, you know, a challenge to the financial system, but one that most people, you know, are scratching their head, even those people close to it um, are struggling to um, uh, to comprehend. The reason you got interested in the first place, as I recall, or as, as I understood, was that you actually saw that it was the, the blockchain technology that had the real potential over time, rather than necessarily Bitcoin per se, or some other kind of uh, digital asset. Uh, which may, whichever one becomes the most dominant one is, you know, we'll find out. But it was the technology that actually underpins it that actually makes it attractive, made it of interest to you, and also of interest, of course, now, so on reads to the big banks and so on, who actually can you see some commercial value as well. Yes, I'd agree with that. But it, I have to say, the least fashionable statement of 2017 is, you know, I love Bitcoin. Sorry, I love blockchain, but I, I disagree with Bitcoin. And that is the, the you know, if you want to be really uncool in the space, that's that's what you say. It's a classic, you know, if you're if you're sort of over fifty and you work for a financial organization, institution, that is what you say. You know, in blockchain's fascinating and can change the world, but you know, I just think Bitcoin's irresponsible. You, you may as well shoot yourself if you're gonna say that. And I think that's that's deeply uncool. And you've also got to recognise that the entire point of blockchain is to create Bitcoin. There's been no use case for blockchain outside of cryptocurrency. And so whilst we're all saying how great blockchain can be in this and the other, there's been no proven use case. Yet Bitcoin's come along and created 200, as we speak, $275 billion of value. Now, it might be a bubble and a ponzi and a, all the other things that people call it. But the bottom line is um, that, that that value has been created. And even if it crashes, which I'm sure it will at some point, um, if it crashed tomorrow, it would still be a hundred billion dollars at the end of it, which is still pretty impressive. You know, the, the you know it's highly unlikely that the the the, the, the Bitcoin valuation goes below a hundred billion dollars again. You know, I know it's crashed um, 90 percent three or four times in history, um, but 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 the next time that crash still takes it down to a pretty hefty valuation. So somehow, even the underlying trend is huge. So, um, and then when you, when you look at all these Bitcoins and, and, and Ethereum's and crypto digital assets together in aggregate, you're talking $500 billion. And in today's money, that's really nothing compared to the you know, level of general asset prices around the world. So by historic comparisons, uh, we're not even close to a bubble. We'd need to see another, um, somewhere between 10 and 100 times of value creation before you can make that accusation. Yeah, a little speculative frenzy, yes. A mainstream global asset bubble, not even close. Well, I'm sure people are interested to hear that. And I think, um, how do you follow what's going on there? I mean, if I can put you on the spot a little bit, I think at, some, at one point you were trying to develop a model that actually valued Bitcoin or, or what its sort of fundamental intrinsic value was based on the amount of electricity that was used in the network and so on. Uh, have you still got that model going? And if so, what does it say? Well, yes, a newscape, and, and, and uh, where I work here each day. The, the, the best thing is, you know, I've got these juniors who, who are all under twenty-five, um, who are all very clever and they're all highly qualified in engineering and so on. And you try and educate them about bonds and equities, and they're just not remotely interested. But you talk about Bitcoin, and they all jump up and down and get very excited. 
And that's, that's, it's like about this space. It just attracts people. They just think it's hilarious. And, um, and they want to know more and they want to, to understand why something new and so dynamic and exciting and different um, you know, is, is coming through. And, and the past is completely done in comparison. And yes, we've got this model, or model I created four years ago and adapted slightly. And um, today it says that Bitcoin is worth $19,000 a coin. And the price is about $16,000 a coin. So there you go. It, it tells you that there's no bubble because the network underlying Bitcoin is about right. Assuming that there's some error in the calculation, but you know, the, that, that percentage difference is pretty small. So therefore, you know, the price of Bitcoin is about right given the size of the network that's been created. Uh, now, can that network sustain? You know, is it right that um, you know, at the moment we're seeing five or six billion dollars of Bitcoin change hands each day? And um, you know, that's quite different from the external money that's coming in to, to, to buy Bitcoin. You know, there's, sort of, there's a feeling out there by the people who just say it's some bubble that you know, th th there are 250 or 300 billion dollars worth of Bitcoin in the world. Therefore, $300 billion has come into the market. That's not true at all. By some estimates, you know, less than a billion dollars of cash has actually come into Bitcoin. And so the value of Bitcoin has been through the velocity. You know, you spin those blades of those helicopters and the helicopter rises. So in the same way, if the Bitcoin network spins the, um, the monetary velocity, then the price of the Bitcoin rises. And so you create the network, you create the value, just like Facebook. It's got nothing to do with the code. You know, the code facilitated it. Um, but the more people get together and swap pictures, you create value, you've got people's attention, you've got their eyeballs, all that stuff. So um, this is, you know, in some ways, this is sort of um, some kind of financial, somewhere between a financial system and a, and a, and a social media stock, and, 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 and that's where the value has been created. Um, not the fact that just, you know, a few people put 100 quid in. There's just no way on heaven's earth that 100, 200 billion dollars of Bitcoin came into the of, of cash came into the space to push, push the Bitcoin price up, more like a billion dollars. Uh, no one really know what their number is. If we asked all the exchanges to tell us all the inflows we've ever had, the net inflows we've ever had, then we would know, but of course they won't disclose that to us. But, but we know damn well, this is, this is our friend putting in a few hundred quid here and a few hundred quid there, maybe a few, a few um, more adventurous people putting half a million quid in, but there's no one putting a billion quid in or half a billion, half a billion quid in. This, this is, this is, this is um, the, you know, the aggregation of, um, of small numbers and more importantly, the aftermath of, uh, of, that, of that money changing hands and creating a network, which is what creates um, an exponential value in relation. Okay, so I think that's very helpful. Um, but we have read, I mean, I've read reports saying that uh, we are now going to get possibly a flood of, of, of exchange traded funds of ETFs coming in back, possibly even backed by some of the big, big names in the in the financial service. That could that could bring some money in on a different uh, different scale. Yeah, that, that's different because now we've got the idiot money coming. So this is the city. You know, I, 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 I four years ago I thought, okay, so you, so what you've actually done is it's got a network going and and um, and that's all about the internals. Now you talk about the externals. And dressing the space up for this for the city, and the city, you know, is, is actually embarrassingly behind the curve here, because they spent the whole time talking about how they love blockchain, as I said earlier, and um, they disapprove of Bitcoin. But now they've realised that you know, the, there is do, there there is no blockchain trade. There's only a Bitcoin trade. <laughs> they have to buy Bitcoin, which is quite funny. So they're going to buy this product at some point. They'll you know some, either this futures exchange will be responsible enough for them all to nod in agreement and say that's okay we'll buy that together 
Um, and if that's not good enough, then someone else will come along, you know, iShares or someone will come with a product. At some point, someone will have a product where they can all sit around in the room and hold hands and nod and say, we'll all buy that together and they'll do it. And, um, and that will be, um, you know, brutal for the Bitcoin price. I mean, you know, you haven't seen nothing yet. But, but I don't think that, that that's the, the sort of money that's going to have the same impact. That is proper bubble money. That is money buying bitcoins, driving the higher price, the price higher for, for, for you know, for, for, for dollar for dollar. Whereas network money is so much more powerful. So a youngster going in and spending $500 on Bitcoin and then using it brings so much more to the network than an institution putting $500 million in and then just doing nothing and watching it and hoping it goes up in part of his diversified portfolio. So, so I think there is a big difference there. But there again, at $300 billion, you know, an institution with $500 million in, in, in passive allocation to Bitcoin doesn't make a difference. So what? You know, it's nothing, isn't it? Because, you know, 1% of Bitcoin is now $3 billion. And so $500 million allocation in your multi-asset fund is nothing. So that's what's changed. Um, and so they will, they, will, they will provide a useful purpose, but a different purpose. They'll provide stability to the price that didn't exist before. Because suddenly now you need institutional money. To, to maintain the levels today. So if this space is real and it is part of the future, and I have no doubt that space is, I don't know if Bitcoin is, but but the space, you know, the, the idea that the internet exchanges value, the idea that some cryptocurrency slash internet, uh, sorry, slash digital assets are here to stay and all the rest of it, then, you know, that that's here to stay. How it happens, why it happens, in what shape, where it goes, less sure. Um, but you know, the, the, the institution money is, 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 is welcome and will provide stability in the next phase. So if we look then at, the sort of, uh, at one of the fundamental causes here that you talked about before, I mean, if we can broaden this out a little bit, um, does, does what's happening with Bitcoin actually tell us anything about the general market environment out there? I mean, is it in any way related to uh, the fact that we're in a mature bull market and, uh, uh, for equities? And that uh, we've had obviously very low interest rates, we have lots of QE and all these kind of things. Is that actually a factor in, in the whole Bitcoin phenomenon, or is it actually a separate issue? Well, you might have noticed I've had a good lunch today because I'm not as coherent as I normally am. But that's because it's Christmas and I've been seeing my good friends, and I've been seeing my good friends in gold and Bitcoin today. And we had this discussion earlier, and one of them made an absolutely brilliant point. And having studied gold for 20 years and Bitcoin for five years, I, um, I, I was, you know, it's, it's not often you hear something completely new. But he put to me the idea that, you know, back in 1970, when, when, when the gold market became came unleashed and uh, came off the standard and suddenly gold was, you know, went from 30-something to 150-something in a heartbeat um, because it had been suppressed for all those years. And then he made the point that actually asset prices are, are, are higher than they should be. With with the sort of equal and opposite assumption that maybe that, that maybe money's undervalued as a sort of result of that to, to to reflect the obvious. So when you create an alternative to money in some way, shape or form, then actually a lot of the value um, uh, that 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 that's come very very quickly is to reflect that it's an alternative outlet for this crazy world of high asset prices. And so, you know, you look at a dollar and think, well, you know, we, we don't really know if that dollar is going to be worth something in the future. So, so therefore, it's a bit like a suppressed version of gold back in that era. And if you can extract it into a new world, it will be worth more. 
And see, one's got to wonder whether there's a, there's a macro element here, which I'm not saying there is or isn't, but it's worth considering, that if you can actually create a new monetary system, which surely there's some sort of case for digital asset here, that, that there is, it is something to do, it is a new system. And, um, um, and, and, and the first mega bubble is on the house, just because it's something different, it's an alternative outside the current system. Yeah. Well, that's a very interesting idea. Yes, that could leave one in all sorts of interesting um, directions. Um, so let's just let's talk about the rest of the uh, rest of the of the global uh, market environment, then, shall we? Because I, I guess one of the issues is, um, uh, as we've said, we know the effect of QE and, and uh, cheap money and lots of it uh, has been, but it does look like we're reaching some kind of turning point now, and that at least the the amount of uh, liquidity being pumped into the system or by the central banks may may have peaked. People keep saying, they said it last year, but it didn't quite happen. Um, do you think we're actually at some sort of turning point in the market cycle? That's another big question, I, I recognise that. Well, we're late, we're, we're late cycle, and you can't, you can't dispute that. The Fed are telling us we're late cycle. So I don't think that's a, that's a you know, big secret. Um, it, it, on the one hand, this... this um, Expansion cycles being going on for a long time. The, you know, the second point would be the last downturn we had was in early sixteen, and um, you know in a few months' time that would have been, um, well, it, 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 the the early the early two thousand and sixteen um, turnaround in deflation, which saw oil go from twenty seven to uh, you know back into the fifties. I mean that 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 trade will be. Um, Three years old, not in, in the not too distant future. I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, think exactly when, when that's going to be. But that, but that, that's going to be the cycle. Where, you know, a mini cycle doesn't really go on for more than about two and three quarter years historically. Yeah. So, we, so sometime in 2018, we're going to, we're going to, maybe bump into that buffer, and you would probably think in, you know, in terms of the autumn next year. As being a sort of natural cyclical upturn, you end up, you know, the natural sort of exhaustion of a cyclical upturn, and um, and then you've got to wonder, is that a no big deal cyclical upturn, which which is just you know the the, the system working way through it, yeah, temporarily exhausted, or is it was like bigger that comes on top, and and the, and the big downturns have got you know not just one thing on top, but but two or three things on top, you know, a banking crisis and a commodity collapse and a natural downturn, you know, and you. you know, the more you add of the, the more of those things you add together, the worse it is. You know, but if it's on its own, then if one thing on its own is usually you know, no big deal. But you know, this this time we've got to look at China, yeah, and 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 wonder when when that's over. And you know, I kind of wonder whether the whole Western credit crisis thing is over. It probably is over in every sense. Um, but what's left is debt GDP, um, lots and lots of debt, which we don't really know where that goes. One hopes it's inflated away. And, 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 and one knows it has to be inflated away because there's no alternative. You know, if it's not inflated away, then it's default. So therefore, it must be inflated away. And we hope it doesn't fall. Um, but then China is the, is, the, is the one that's a bit like we were in 2006-07 with um, crazy things happening in the banking system and far too much leverage in the system. And presumably it's unsustainable. So therefore, you know, I, I, I'm looking at China. Every day I look up, I look at the computer and... First thing I do is say, you know, what's the what's the MMB doing? Uh, what's the Chinese stock market doing? And um, you know, their cement stocks doing okay. What are commodity prices doing? What's the Australian dollar doing? 
that, that's the sort of start of my day. I think, okay, well, if, if, if all's well there, it's not today. But, you know, one day that's coming. And so, um, so, so I think that's the, the big sidewinder um, um, to expect. I don't think any of these emerging markets outside of China uh, are, are going to be the, the, the initial problem. They're, 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 they're not big enough and the excesses are not particularly huge. Um, and, and in the Western world, you know, we spent the whole time fixing the banking system and so on. So, so the, um, we look, we're, we're more looking at the global macro situation to go wrong. Rather than rather than something that's um, that's closer to home, um, and so for that, you know, I think the number one candidate is China. Yeah, I would personally, I would agree with that. Um, and of course, it's quite difficult to well, I can see the effects, but it's quite difficult to uh, understand the dynamics of the of, of the whole uh, policy making process there. Or at least one can understand it in principle, but in, in practice, it's harder. Um, what about the credit system, though? Do you not think that there are strains appearing in the in the credit system which are not just related to China indirectly, but are more related to um, you know the rebuild up of leverage in in, uh, in the bond market and in uh, uh, and in the uh, particularly the high yield market and so on? I mean, do you not think that's an issue in itself? I'm sure it is. I mean, I think that that's a classic cycle business. Um, what I don't like, I mean, the credit market is something that. I've never really liked. Every, every time I've got excited about the credit market, there's a bull. Um, it's bitten me it's massively. And it, it's just been one of those things that, you know, if, I, if, if I'd never discovered uh, the credit market, or I'd learned just to avoid it permanently, then I'm sure I'd be a much better fund manager than I currently am. And so my, the, the lesson from that is just to avoid anything to do with credit ever. And that's what I do. I mean, you know, I've got no exposure to credit, and, and companies with debt, I just, do, I just ignore them, which has cost me on the up. Um, because I know that high leverage companies do extremely well when the when the system's recovering, but I, I've just taken the opposite view, and there's an absolute return manager. I just steer clear. Um, but yes, the 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 um, excesses are building up, and it's a bit of a miracle that um, you know um, European high yield corporate bonds yield less than long dated U.S. government treasuries, and I I don't get it. I think a lot of people don't get it. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to any thinking person. And you look at the European system, and it's got this. Um, so, so let's take the credit argument to, to the peripheral debt markets in you know Greece and Italy and so on, and uh, and those yields are, are coming right down. In fact, um, one of the best investments of twenty seventeen was um, Portuguese government debt, um, Greek debt, very good as well, Spanish debt, all these things, and and we know that these aren't you know these don't make any sense, and they only exist in in a sort of uh, mollycoddled European Union. Um, with the eurozone that's you know, that's bound together, without the political will to you know do the fiscal transfer. So, it, it, to my mind, it doesn't make any sense, and it's one of the reasons why I think that Britain is in a stronger position over the next twenty years than a member of the European Union because because they have a system that that that, that is unsustainable and, and and doesn't hold together in so many ways, um, and makes and, and 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 just makes to my just makes no sense. I don't understand why anyone buy an Italian government bond thinking you know, it might be a German government bond. It's not. It never will be, indeed. Yeah. And then right now, so yesterday, the US put the interest rates up to one and a half. Um, you know, good old Blighty tried its hardest to, to, to keep up with a small small hike a month ago. Nothing today. But, um, you know, the US doing the right thing. Um, in Britain, we're a bit behind the curve. In, in, in Europe, they're massively behind the curve. And you've got to wonder... Uh, if the Europe, if the eurozone would hold together in a tiny environment, how can how can the Bundesbank 
see a higher rate and at the same time uh, maintain that compression with the periphery. It doesn't make sense to me. It's, uh, you'd have to pull more rabbits out of the hat to make that happen, yes. So tell me just in terms then of, 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 of all this, where, what are you doing with your, own, um, with your own fund? I know you made some changes recently. Um, I mean, one thing we might mention is the fact that uh, as we're now moving into, the, uh, as you say, the, the latter stages of, uh, of the cycle, um, you've been uh, making a big, well, not a big, you've been making uh, uh, an investment in uh, momentum effectively. Uh, can, can you describe what you're doing there, how, how you're doing it and why you're doing it? Uh, you're using an ETF, I believe, but uh, tell me about that. So um, I think you're referring to there the, the, the Fleet Street letter. I write the Fleet Street letter and, and, and in the whiskey portfolio there, um, I've taken out some stock-specific risk and added to a global momentum fund. It, it's an ETF. It's a cheap way of playing late cycle. It, it, it's because we're, we're now in this situation where um, individual stocks are being punished rather aggressively for, for, you know, for just slightly bad news. And it, it just seems somewhat unfair. Um, and so by you know, pooling together in stuff that's proximately in the right direction, um, it's a very gentle, simple way of participating in a late bull market um, with, 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 that, with, that, with lower risk, frankly. Um, but that's just, just to explain to me what it is. I mean, what, what, what does this ETF do? So momentum is this concept that stocks that have already done well uh, continue to do well. And it doesn't make any sense much of the time, but there are, there's a time in the cycle where momentum is exactly the wrong thing to do. There's, there's a time where it doesn't make much difference. And there's a time when it's exactly the right thing to do. And basically, late cycle, momentum is the best performing strategy in the world. Because the, the stock market spent several years deciding what's good and what's bad. And once it knows the answer, then there's a consensus and all the good stuff um, carries on going up. And so think about the internet and all the sort of all the good ideas that you've got at a dinner party about robots and the future and internets and whatever, biotechnology, longevity, electric cars, you know, pool all those good stuff, all that stuff you've talked about um, and, and you all think it's clever. Well, the stock market's ahead of the curve and it's ahead of all of us and all, all of those companies that are, that, are, that are benefiting from all those discussions are working and all the companies that are, that are, that are struggling with own shopping centres or retailers or old school media companies or um, utilities or telecoms or any of these things that, which aren't doing so well, um, those are the companies which, which, which are struggling a bit. And you might call those value stocks and you might see a high dividend and hope for a turnaround, but actually on average you're probably wrong and they'll, they'll, they'll probably disappoint. So you know, at these late stages of the cycle where it's pretty clear how this phase of our lives has evolved, um, you know, th th there's a consensus that the good stuff works and the bad stuff doesn't work. Um, that is different from early cycle, where it's exactly the opposite. The bad stuff goes up the fastest, and the, and the defensive stuff doesn't. And mid-cycle, it's somewhere between. So, you know, if you if you define it very simply in those terms, we're at that stage of the cycle where it where it, where it pays to follow the trend, and uh, frankly, it's the safest thing to do. So that's that's what we're doing in the Fleet Street now in the in the diversified growth fund at News, Newscape. Um, you know, following that same principle, I'm buying large cap. Um, companies which are pretty steady and in the value more importantly in the value portfolio i'm taking very little risk i've just got a you know, little bit of exposure to, to energy and to to, to, to gold and uh, also some exposure to uh, financial services but really minimal exposure um, to sort of um, clever value investing contrarian um, themes which i think is too early i think all of those areas will get cheaper before they're a buy right 
so basically you are you're you're implying that the things that have been doing well will carry on doing well for a while and particularly at the larger end of the market and capitalization not, scale not excitedly so but but it's a safe place to be yeah and everybody's looking for a safe place or at least a lot of people are but I mean, we have noticed some some signs that uh, you know indicators of investor sentiment have finally, you know, when it says this is the most unloved bull market of all time, um, seem to be turning a little bit, and people are becoming more positive about risk assets for whatever reason, um, which might, as you say, imply that there's more risk out there than than perhaps uh, people realise, because just the fact, very fact, that things go on so placidly for so long eventually makes people think, well, this is okay, I can put my foot back in there, I tip my toe back in this water. You would agree with that? Well, I think the, the, um, the feeling, the, 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 the feeling you get from financial markets is something you need to fight. Um, you know, I've, I've lo- exactly, I've, it's a contrarian thing. It is a contrarian thing. The, the more uncomfortable it feels. I mean, the, and the worst thing is this is not exact. So if, if I could measure everyone's uh, pulse rate when they looked at financial markets, and if it was scary, they'd buy, and if it was calm, sell. Even that doesn't work. I mean, but the, 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 so it's, not, it's, it's not perfectly clear. But, but what I do know is that when, when, it's, um, when everyone likes markets, that, that tends to mean that everything's great. And when everything great, when everything is great, the stock market is so far ahead of the curve compared to people's feelings. That when everything is great, then the, the the prices have already risen, and therefore the benefits have already been um, uh, uh, made. And conversely, you know, when everyone's terrified, it tends to be that there's lots of bad news, and when there's lots of bad news, prices tend to have reflected something awful that's happened, and therefore they're low. And and so they you know, that whole idea of it feels like a safe time to invest is a dangerous feeling, and you need to fight that. Which is not exactly the same thing as saying, you know, buy when there's bad news, because sometimes bad news is bad news. <laughs> you know, for, for, in Greece, for example, in Greece, there was bad news from, from 2008, there was bad, worse news than 2009, even worse than 2010, even worse than 2011, and it kept going down. So, so one's got to um, understand that a good system uh, with bad news is a buy, and a bad system with bad news isn't necessarily a buy. You can wait. And my final question then, is we come to the end of our time here, is I have to ask you about gold because we've talked about a lot about Bitcoin, but uh, gold is something you're very interested in as well. Uh, and the gold price is telling us, which is effectively sort of going nowhere at the moment, what is, what is the gold price telling us at the moment, if anything? Well, the gold price is, um, is fair value according to my metrics. And fair value for a high quality asset is, is a good deal. So in, in, in the stock market, the best companies are very expensive. In the bond market, the best bonds are very expensive. In the commodities market, the best commodity is gold and it's trading at fair value. So therefore, you know, this is the market telling you, here's a high quality asset that's a fair value, which is a rare find. Yeah? In digital assets, you know, Bitcoin presumably is ahead of fair value, you might think because there's a, you know, not according to my, my metric, but, but according to the sentiment, certainly. And um, so therefore, if, you, if we have a downturn in the near future, then if you can buy something good that's correctly priced, then that, that will hold you in good stead. And there aren't many of those sort of things kicking around. Um, in, in, and the reason for that is because we've had lots and lots of um, stimulus in markets. And so most asset prices are, um, you know, with, 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 by design, to, to boost asset prices, we've had this sort of stimulus. And, um, and so they're too high. So why would you buy something that's expensive if you want a safe haven, if the risk is that asset prices fall, which is what happens when things go wrong? So if you can buy something that's that, that, that's good value, um, then that makes a lot of sense. Now the perfect so so I, I believe that gold's um, good value, 
I believe that sil silver is trading cheaply relative to history, and I also believe that platinum is trading cheaply cheap to relative to history. So you can buy the precious metals, with the exception of palladium, um, on the cheap, and that's great. So therefore, if there's a problem in markets, then that's going to work well. But we do know that the driver of precious metals is, is, is real interest rates. That is the difference between interest rates and inflation. So if we have some inflation in this late cycle, then they will do extremely well. Um, but more importantly, if, if we don't have deflation, um, they, they will hold their value. So, so you're looking for things in the current environment which will um, not send you backwards the next time we have a downturn. And I think gold and precious metals in general are, are, are up there on the list. And, uh, and that list isn't very full these days. You know, 20 years ago, you had the entire bond market and um, you know, commodities and property and so on. 10 years ago, you had the bond market to, to save you. This time, the only thing left really is gold. So, um, so you better buy some. On that note, Charlie, I'd like to thank you very much. That's always fascinating. And uh, look forward to talking again about uh, when Bitcoin has uh, gone to one of two directions, either a lot higher or a lot lower. But it's going to be either one, isn't it? It's going to be one of the others. Happy Christmas. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this Moneymakers podcast. Our podcasts are independently produced and edited and are available on a variety of podcast channels, including SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, and also Share Radio's platform. The podcasts are free. If you want to find out more or listen to some of the earlier interviews in the series, please go to our website, www.money-makers.co or follow us in future on any of the channels just mentioned. Thank you for listening.